0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, we do declare along with that song that you are a God of great faithfulness. We want to praise you for that. We want to acknowledge that. You are God who has bound yourself to us, who has spoken out truth and promise, and who always keeps it, who always upholds your word. You uphold your word. We say thank you for that. And then in thanking and praising that fact, we then ask for help to believe it. Would you do a work now among us, cause us to hear your word in, in faith, and to see that larger than, than this particular passage, you are always a God who speaks to us the truth, who stands by us and never leaves nor forsakes us. We are your people by your action. We remain your people by your action. You won't let us go. Help us to believe that day by day as we walk through this life to look to you, to hold fast to you, particularly now, Lord, as I look at my own heart and, and consider the, uh, some of the small, unusual details of this morning, it, I find a bit of, of unsettledness, and I pray that you would you put your hand on us here now and cause us to settle even little things like my voice sounding different in the room right now. Just to cause that to settle on us and on me. and Help us to hear you. Draw our minds and our hearts to look to you, to believe you, to rest in you, and to walk with you from here into the week and into the month that follows perhaps some of us right now are facing the, the the heart of the the kind of issue raised by the passage in, in front of us perhaps some of us will face it tomorrow we don't know we don't know it yet A trouble arises and questions arise and doubt crouches at the door cement us your people cement us right next to you in, and keep us from wandering away. You don't wander, keep us from wandering. Show your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Show your trustworthiness. Show us your great desire to glorify yourself, the, the ultimate ground for your trustworthiness, your desire to show yourself trustworthy. Show us that, Lord, and, and move us to believe So move through this room now, Lord, and have your way with us. Draw our attention to your word. Speak clearly truth and transform with it. That is my hope and prayer. Build your church with your word. Reign here now, we ask, God Almighty, build your church. Honor the name of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to Psalm 115 as we take a a brief departure from our study of the book of Philippians, given that it's the man's retreat this weekend and we have a wedding this afternoon, we've got a bunch of people in different places, and so we're going to take take a week, look at something else, and we'll come back to Philippians next week. I've chosen Psalm 115 because of the question that it raises and how it answers it, an exhortation amidst uncertainty. An exhortation that comes in the middle of trouble. There's a question that's raised in the text, it's often raised in our lives. The question is, where is God? And following that, sometimes arises the temptation to turn and find some other sinful option offered up by the world as a way to deal with whatever the trouble is that's arisen and caused us to question Something happens, we ask, where is God? And in a moment conclude, not here, and begin to search. We Start looking somewhere else for something else. This passage speaks to that question and that false answer and invites us to consider again, where is God? Right where he has always been, doing what he has always done. Trust him. That's the essence of the passage this morning. It's a question that's raised first on the lips of the non-believer, but it comes up subtly in the passage in the minds of believers, and it comes up in our hearts too. This is a psalm, and as a psalm, psalms are poetic songs. So they have a different feel to them than other places, in particular since we've been in a letter, Philippians. It has a different feel than, than a letter like Philippians. It's poetry. So it's going to say, in some cases, it's going to say the same thing in in some roundabout, flowery ways. Some people love poetry, some people less so. The point's not that hard to get, though. As as you see when we come to it, the point is pressed home with repetition, 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 pressed home right in the middle of the psalm. Our our need is, is going to be less... To get, to get intellectually our minds around what the point is and more our need is to actually believe it and walk in it. Let me summarize the main issue that I'm driving at here this morning. Let me put it in a sentence. Then I'll read the whole psalm and then approach it through three different observations. But here's, here's the main point for this morning. Because of the Lord's commitment to His own glory, we can trust Him to remain faithful to us. Because of the Lord's commitment to His own glory, we can trust Him and should trust Him to remain faithful to us. That's the point I'm pressing at this morning. Let me read Psalm 115 and then unpack it with three observations. 115 verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord, or hallelujah. Psalm 115. Three observations from it. First, the Lord is still present and reigning even when we can't see him in our troubles. The Lord is still present and reigning even when we can't see him in our troubles. The question is raised in verse 2, why should the nations, that is the non-believing world around the, the people of God, around Israel, why should the nations say, where is their God? And the psalmist means to say, they don't have any reason to say that, they shouldn't say it, but they do, in fact, say, where is their God? And if we look at verse 1 and verse 9, we can kind of read a little bit of the scenario. Verse 1, he's he's asking God to to show glory in his steadfast love and faithfulness. And in verse 9, in calling the people to trust God, we can kind of put those things together and say, something has happened, some trouble, some difficulty of some sort, perhaps a, a catastrophe or maybe a slow simmering angst. Some trouble has arisen in which one would think a caring, steadfast, loving, faithful God would step in and act. And he hasn't. Nothing's forthcoming from him. And so people people around watching look at that, and it's presented as a taunt, say, where is your God? If he loved you and was committed to you, wouldn't he be around to help? Where where is he? And the implied, in calling people to trust him, the implied is that the Israelites are thinking, yeah, good question. Where is he? trouble could be anything. It's never mentioned because it's not the focus. The trouble could be just anything. Whatever it is in your life applies. The trouble could be anything. The focus is not on that. The focus is on God that helps people deal with problems and onlookers are seeing problem not dealt with. Where, where's your God? He's not doing anything. Our gods are right here. Very present helps in time of trouble. See, right here we have the God of fertility. And see over here we have the God, when we have a weather problem, we have the God of weather. And when we have a, a, a military problem, we have the God of war. When we have a, a weather or a, an overarching life problem, we have the God of the sun. We've got plenty of gods, all of them right here. Where's yours? Ours are right here. Now, clearly, verse 4, these are literal statues of silver and gold he's talking about. Most idols these days aren't. There are still idols of silver and gold. My car mechanic has literal figures of silver and gold lining the walls of the waiting room in Salt Lake. It happens all over the world even in America today but most idols today are not literal silver and gold statues. However, it's not required that something be a precious metal shaped to look like Buddha to be an idol. Anything even good things anything can be and often is a god to us. Whatever it is the world offers up, offers us to, to take in our hands and orient our life towards, bow down before, perhaps figuratively, bow down before and say, This is the thing that I look to for my hope. This is what I am orienting my life around, saying, This right here will deliver. This is what I need. There's a God. That can be really good things, even, and certainly some bad things. It can be material things, it can be philosophies, it can, it can be one's own marriage even, it can be one's education, one's, one's personal ability, one's aptitude, one's intelligence, concrete things, non-tangible things, anything can be the thing you turn to, this is what I hope in. We tend to run to such false gods, such idolatry, when the one true God isn't doing what we want Him to do. We ask, where is He? I want and I need. And He isn't coming through it. Unbelief begins to take root. This, this God that I, that I say I hope in, He's not present. He's not coming through. Where is He? I don't know, but I need something. And so I'm tempted to start looking. To which the psalmist says, No. He has not abandoned you. He has not left. He isn't gone. Where is God? Right where he's always been, doing what he's always been doing. Verse 3 Our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. His reign has not ended. He has not changed. Troubles have come to us, whatever they may be. Troubles come to you, whatever they may be. Hear this carefully. In your troubles, whatever they may be, and I know that when I say it broadly like that, some people, what pops into your mind, the trouble you're facing right now is is some comparatively trivial argument with a next door neighbor. And some people, what pops into your mind is something catastrophic. Whatever they may be, including both ends of that spectrum, God is in the trouble. Over the trouble, under the trouble, around the trouble, he is in your troubles, not absent from them. In them, doing all that He pleases. He sits in the heavens and He reigns. He does all that He pleases. Not arm-twisted, allowing an enemy to do what the enemy pleases because he can't stop it and wishes that he could and it's a problem. But I have No. He's the God of all might. He does all that He pleases, all that He wants. Which is not to say that there are not enemies who are acting, and not to say they do not sin, and not to say that God does not look at things that go on in your life and all the troubles you face and pronounce evil over some of them. That is certainly true. But this is meant to it does indeed create attention, we have to acknowledge, it. it creates attention. How can God be present? I mean, I could maybe allow if in my mind I thought that God was distracted and this happened, I could maybe allow that. But how can it be that God is watching alert, eyes on saying "Yes, yes, 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 to this trouble. That's difficult. And without answering that yet, I think part of the answer comes in the second observation. Without answering that yet, the point to see right here, right now, is that this is meant to be reassuring to you. The frightening thing would be God's not here. Where is God? Gone. Where is God? Dead. Where is God? Well, he has ears, but he can't hear. He has eyes, but he can't see. That would be the frightening thing. It is more encouraging, more assuring to you, it's meant to be, that he has eyes and he sees. He has a a brain, if if you will, a brain, and he thinks and he understands and he says yes to it. That's meant to be reassuring to you, akin to how a parent and a child here on earth interact. A parent looking at a child, looking at a situation, the kid says, this is a problem, this is trouble, I don't like this, yuck. And parent says, I see I know. I got it. How do you got it? I hate this. I got it. You don't get it. I have it, says parent to child. That happens all the time in in households here on earth. So we should have some category to understand how parent and child can look at a trouble and acknowledge it is a trouble, but parent might not, for some reason or another, according to the parent's wisdom, might not swoop in and immediately solve it like the child thinks should be, when the child thinks should be. That happens in our lives. We should have a category to understand this. When God says, I see, indeed, yes, I got it. And what's the next phrase that comes out after that? I got it. Trust me. which is where the second observation goes. The heart of the psalm. Before we go there, let's close off this first one. There is indeed a tension created. How can God have it? Yes, tension. But assurance, he has it. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you're facing from one end of the spectrum to the other, God, the Almighty Lord is in heaven still present and still reigning even if you can't see him. Where is he? Right where he has always been, doing what he has always been doing. Trust him. Which takes us to the second observation. Simply, here it is. Trust in the Lord. He will bless. Trust in the Lord. He will bless. Right in the middle of the psalm, at verse 9 out of 18 verses, so we're right in the middle of the psalm. We find a critical turn. Verse 8 was just discussing all those idols in a very poetic fashion, lining up the, the, the folly of trusting in dead idols, non-living idols. And verse 8 then concludes, don't trust them. And then critical turn, uses the same word trust at 9, towards the people of God and exhorts them to trust in the Lord in the midst of trouble of whatever kind the idols seem attractive sin seems attractive reasonable it's it's helpful to understand it's helpful to think about and understand sin understand what's going on when you sin nobody ever sins from obligation Now, some of you may have thought, well, what, about, what about the sin nature? That's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is that you are never compelled against your will to sin. We all sin because it seems reasonable and best. I look at my life, I see a problem, I see what I think is a need, it's at least a want, and I look around for solutions and I think, well, this one seems reasonable, that one seems good. I think, as I look at things, this at least promises, and it's, Yeah, I think so. It will be a help to me. It will be a shield to me. It will deliver me. It will bless me. I'll go for that. That's what's going on when we sin. It's helpful to understand that. Because that's how God fights against our sin. You look at a problem and a trouble, and there is an offer that arises from the world, from all the things that you can put your hands on and get your your mind around and see with your eyes. This thing promises, I will be a help to you in this problem. I will deliver you from this trouble. Come to me, grab me, take me. And we say, okay, because it seems reasonable and is attractive in the moment of trouble. But at the end, all those things perish and those who trust them, verse 8, become like them, dead. They are dead and they are deadening. There is no life in them. But instead, the big turn of verse 9, O oh Israel, trust in the Lord. It's, it's pretty hard to miss the main point of this psalm. Right in the middle of the psalm, repeated three times, It's progression, oh Israel, the whole great big people of God, trust in the Lord. Oh house of Aaron, part of Israel, the the priest, priestly family, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord, because actually it's not about ethnicity, it's not about your lineage, it's about do you fear the Lord. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. People of God, trust the Lord. people of God, trust the Lord. This is is not a call to become one of the people of God. This is not, as we might say, trust the Lord, become a Christian. This is spoken to Christians telling us, trust in the Lord. O Israel, O house of Aaron, you who fear the Lord, trust Him. Implying, sometimes we don't. Depend on Him. Turn to Him in times of trouble. Why? Again, pretty difficult to miss. Trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He is their help and their shield. Three times. And just in case that point isn't clear, four more times in 12 and 13, he will bless us in the same groupings. Israel, house of Aaron, those who fear the Lord. He will bless Israel, bless Aaron's house, bless those who fear him, great and small alike. And in case we miss that, then the psalmist pronounces a blessing on the people of God. Verses 14 and 15. May the Lord give you and your children increase. May you be blessed by the Lord. This Lord who has made everything and reigns over everything, who sits in heaven and has put us here on the earth amidst all these things that we face to live here and walk here, may he bless you, may he give you increase. He will bless, he will bless, he will bless. He will be your help and your shield. He will be your help and your shield. He will be your help and your shield. Trust him, trust him, trust him. What's the point? Can you miss that? As I said, intellectually not challenging. Oh Israel, trust in the Lord. Consider what is being promised here for you, people of God. For the people of God, for those who are his own, and if you aren't his, while this is not directly spoken to you, it could be about you if you would trust him, if you would become one of his people, if you would turn to him. But people of God. This God enthroned in heaven who made everything that is and sits over it controlling everything that happens. This God declares to you in His Word I am not gone, I am not dead, I am not deaf, I am not dumb. I hear, I see, I reign, and I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you. I am your help and your shield, your help and your shield, your help and your shield. Whatever it is that you need, I I will give to you. Whatever it is that threatens you, I will protect you from. I will, will, will. And we sit, oh, tragically, we sit in front of him and say, Really? I don't know what else he could say. People of God, verse 12, the Lord has remembered us. Understand that. It is not meant to make us think. That God was in some way distracted. Oh, 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 my people. I almost forgot. Now it means that he has, he has intervened to act to deliver. And where, how has He remembered us? Understand, verse 12 is saying, He has remembered us, therefore He will bless us. How has He remembered us? How has He acted to intervene in our lives Christian, I hope that the cross is rising to your mind right now. He has remembered us where, how? He stepped into the world to save you. He's remembered you by coming to get you, to save you, to write your name on the palm of His hands. He cannot forget you. He cannot leave you nor forsake you. He is your God and has bound himself to you and has written you into his very heart. Will he bless you? Of course he's given you Christ. He's given you life. He will give you along with him everything. He will, will, will bless. He is, in fact, right now, always your shield and always your help and will then cause you to experience it in the moment, in the way you need Details, of course, are not provided because it's about everything. What do you need? How will you be shielded? I don't know, but he will give you your daily bread. What attack do you face? What temptation is coming at you? I don't know, but he will deliver you from the evil one. He will help you. He will bless you. He cannot say it any more clearly. But understand something. This is the one, maybe the one intellectual challenge here in this passage. And it addresses the tension raised by how can he be reigning over this? Understand something. This psalm rings out with I will shield and help and bless. Trust me. It's, can't miss that. But he's doing something. He's up to something. And we might think, we might suspect he's up to something just from the very fact that if I, as a parent, think parent and child again, if I create for my child, a situation in which there is a need, let me make a simple example of a financial need. If I create a problem in which my kid now needs $5, and then I give him $5, meeting the financial need was not the main goal, was it? Because I created the financial need. I could have fixed that problem by not even doing it in the first place. Follow what I'm saying there? If I reign over a situation to create a need that I then meet, meeting the need itself is not goal number one. I created the need. I got something else in mind. I'm working a situation. I created and I'm working a situation here with ulterior motives. Sometimes we use that English and we mean evil. Ulterior motive is not necessarily evil. It just means you're up to something else. God has ulterior motives in blessing and helping and shielding. I need to think about this a little bit. He does all he pleases. He's sovereign over all the troubles. and his helping, as he promises boy, sometimes it is slow. And when it comes, sometimes it's not exactly what we wanted. So what he gives and how he shields, don't we sometimes struggle with the timing and the choice he makes? Well, he's using that. He is at work in some way. He's at work not just on the problem itself, but on what the problem shows and creates in here. He's at work on you, on the inside of you, to mature you and grow you. Turn that around. To wean you away from something. To wean you, you and me, us, away from the suicidal bent, Towards autonomy and self rule with which we are born, and that subtly controls us in many ways we are completely unaware of. But in some ways that show up when the trouble comes and the question arises in your heart, you weren't even thinking to ask it, but it just pops up where's God? And then you notice, I start to hunt for another hope. Hmm, why is that? He's creating a situation to peel away the the chest covering to show you what's in your heart. I, I put a trouble here and watch what happens to you. I take your job away from you and watch what happens to you. You were praising me on Sunday, you walk into the office on Monday, you lost your job, and you say, where is God? And you begin to panic and hunt for a hope. You didn't think that was there yesterday. It was. Now I'm showing you, and I want to wean you away from that as an example. I want to wean you away from that and draw you to myself, draw you to me. The thing that I'm exhorting, that I'm commanding here, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, that's the thing you actually need. Trust in the Lord. Dependence on Him, not dependence on self. That has to be cut out, this self-dependence cut out and replaced with a dependence on me and I'm going to create a situation in which there's a tension that arises to put, to put right in front of you the question, in whom do you trust? Yourself and your own ways and your own wisdom and the paths that will take you down or me and mine and how long will you sit there? I will be your help but just not right now how long will you sit there? I will be your help, but just not in the way you thought. Are you okay with that? He's raising a question to show us something and to work on something, to mature us. To draw us to the thing that we actually need. I don't really need a job. I need Christ. Christ. You don't really need health and relationships. It's all going to perish. What you need is God. And he's at work to use all the stuff in life and to to do this with it all so as to create the thing that you actually need. Union lived and experienced with God Almighty. That's what he's after in you. And notice the dynamic that he uses to get there. Trust in the Lord today Trust in the Lord right now because he will help tomorrow. There's something right now based on something that will come. I promise it will come. I have remembered you. I will bless you. I am your shield means I will shield you. I am your help, means I will help you. I will bless you. At least 30 seconds from now, and right now you've got to trust me. Maybe 30 days from now. Maybe 30 years from now. I will today trust me. This is a call right now to you To trust him today for what he says he will do. That's called faith. Trust, dependence, hope. That's what real living faith is. I live today believing in the middle of my trouble not after my trouble, not in the absence of trouble, in the middle of my trouble, I live today believing that this God is my help and will bless. And therefore, when the offers of the world arise, when the question comes up in my mind, I say with the psalmist, No! The idols of the world are dead. My God sits in heaven and reigns as he always has, and he is trustworthy. I will hold to him It's the life of faith that is a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, Christian. That gives you an experienced union with Him. It gives you relationship with Him in the midst of trouble. The thing you really need, in other words. We live today in trouble trusting I will not turn to other options, only to Him. In trouble, we say no to sin. That is belief-based obedience. I say no to the offer of sin because I believe that He will act. So I will not take a shortcut. This is the life of faith, the life that pleases God. And without such faith, it is impossible to please Him. Those who would please him and those who would draw near to him must believe that he exists. Where is he? in heaven reigning, and that he rewards those who seek him. I will trust him, and he will deliver. He is, and he rewards those who please him, who seek Him. That's Hebrews 11:6, by the way. It's what's pleasing to God. It's the life of faith. It is also the life of righteousness and it is also the life of joyful contentment. It is the life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. It is the life we are to live. It's a life on a dynamic. Notice that. It's the dynamic of trouble and promise. It is is the trouble and the promise right next to the trouble. Believed. Held on to. That's a life of faith. Not trouble and threat. Seeking to avoid the danger. Seeking to to do what I've been told or what people tell me is right. Faith in the promise. This This is fundamental Christian life. That God aims to build in us for our good, for your good. And so he will not deliver immediately from every trouble, but instead will leave them sit there for a moment and say, trust me, obey me, walk with me, I will deliver you. I will be your help. Trust me. A life of faith. To walk by faith. That's what we need. That's what God is actually working into us in the midst of all the troubles. That is a really good thing. That is more important than Him securing your job. Bless God for that. That He's committed to working that into you. As I say, bless God for that, that's what takes me to the third observation. This final observation takes us to the beginning and the end of the psalm. So the main part is right in the middle, and then I'm going to go to the very beginning and the very end. That's the third point. In order to glorify Himself, God will surely bless us. In order to glorify Himself, God will surely bless us. It is right that God be most concerned with glorifying God. We'll talk a fair bit about that in this church, so I don't want to go too far into that, but in case you're new here, I need to just maybe say a word about that because it sounds odd perhaps at first pass. So God's about glorifying God? Absolutely. God's not an idolater. God is about glorifying God. God. God's the only one worthy of all honor and all praise and all glory. And God knows that, and so God's going to give God glory. That's right. It's appropriate. And in this psalm, the psalmist banks on that. The psalmist banks his hope on God's commitment to God's glory, and he uses it in prayer as a way of leveraging God. Verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us. We don't deserve it. Not to us. But to your name give glory. He's praying to God, asking God to give God glory. And the verb is to give. You, God, give glory to yourself. And watch the argument. For the sake of, on the ground of, Your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Get yourself praised. Get yourself honored. Track that. I'm praying to God, psalmist that I am. I'm praying to God and saying, God, will you get yourself praised? Will you get yourself glorified because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness? Why should the nations be allowed to ask, where are you? Why should your people be allowed to doubt, where are you? Show, here I am, and here's what I'm doing. Show that, show that you are a shield and a help, the blessing of your people. Do not let us live and and walk around wondering, but instead reveal yourself. Display your power and your goodness. Show that you actually have bound yourself to your people. You have promised to be their God, and you do you do not ever break your word, but are faithful to it. You have a steadfast love for them, and so you do come and bless and deliver. Gain glory for yourself, God. Do that. Verse 18 And we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Beginning and end. The psalmist is banking on God's desire to be praised. So there's a whole lot of theology in that, which I'm not going to march too, too far down that path, because the point is, we should look at this, this is the ground of our confidence. You sit in the middle of your trouble and you say, He has said, I will bless, I will shield, I will help, but He hasn't done it yet. He hasn't done it yet. I'm, I'm to trust Him right here, right now. I'm to trust Him. How and, and why should I trust Him? And the psalmist is going to argue here. You're going to argue with God here about this and tell us indirectly because God is extremely committed to his own glory. And God will not allow it to be the case that anybody can have a a standing argument against him. You abandoned your people. You deceitful God. You said you love them, but you don't. He cannot allow that argument to stand. Do you follow that? And so He will bless you. He will be your shield. He will be your help to show I am the God of steadfast love. I am the God of faithfulness. I deliver them from their trouble and I deliver them from their real trouble, their suicidal bent towards self. And I use the troubles for the sake of the trouble. I am so faithful. I am so good. I am indeed a God of steadfast love. And we will say hallelujah as he delivers us into the experience of his presence and proves to all of the nations that he is a God for his people in power. You sit in the middle of trouble and you're called to trust a God who said, I will come through for you, but hasn't yet. And the ground for your hope is that God is committed to his own glory. And his glory is tied up in your good. So he will do you good to the praise of his glorious grace. I look out at, it, I look at it, the group right now as I'm looking at you I'm thinking as I'm trying to read your faces it's possible you're not tracking with me and that I'm not clear so let me try to make it extremely simple as God does good to you God makes himself look good if God doesn't do good to you and said that he would but doesn't he makes himself a liar God's not a liar God cannot tolerate being looked down upon because it is wrong so God will make certain In a time and way of His wise, good choosing, He will make certain that He is exalted and His exaltation is tethered to you. To your good. If you are His in Christ. As He goes up, He will grab you and pull you with Him. He must. He has remembered you in Christ. He cannot forget you. So your ground in the middle of your trouble, the ground upon which you stand to trust the God whom you cannot see at the moment, the ground upon which you stand is not that I'm a good enough and likable enough person. I'm smart enough. This should work out. And the ground is not even, what sounds a step better than that, it is a step better than that, the ground is not even God loves me, though that is true. The ultimate best greatest ground is God loves Himself. God loves Himself and God loves His own glory and will not allow that to be shared, given to another, or thrown in the dirt. God loves His own glory and His glory is tied to your good at the cross. So you can bet everything you have on the fact that God will bless, will help, will will shield you. He will give you your daily bread and deliver you from evil. He will spread his kingdom over you and cause his name to be exalted everywhere, including in your life. He's using the troubles that you're facing right now towards that end. Trust this God. Because of the Lord's commitment to His own glory, we can trust Him to remain faithful to us. We can trust Him to bless, to deliver, to help. This is a good thing. Give praise to God for it. Hallelujah. Let me pray. God, help us to understand your word. Whatever has not been clear and was not important, let it just slide away. But clarify the critical. Press it into your people and draw them after you and grow in them thankfulness. Grow in us trust. A trust that is rooted in the fact that You will glorify Your name. You will give to Yourself glory by showing Yourself to be for us. Cause us to believe that. We'll do a work now in Your people here as we take a minute to think and to contemplate where we find the idols drawing us on, where we find sin and other opportunities and other options drawing us on as we doubt You. Show us that, Lord. Press it out of us and assure us of Your nearness, of Your reign, and of Your goodness. Lord, build Your church. Cause us to rest in You in hope. You are all that we have. The idols are dead. They have no life in them. You are all that we have, and you are more than enough. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray in thanksgiving. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.